1 Kings chapter 18. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to preach this morning. This pastor is away, and I hope it's a blessing for you this morning. Uh, the beginning of this year, when pastor told us what the theme was going to be, um, this is one of my, uh, probably one of my all-time favorite passages in the Old Testament. And uh, so as soon as he told us what, what it was going to be, I said, I call that one. I, I get that one this year, and so he actually has refrained from uh, from preaching on it, which I was surprised he did, uh, but uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to preach this morning, and uh, just going to preach on this thought, how long, and uh, we're going to be presented with that question here from Elijah in just a minute, but let's go ahead and stand this morning as we read our text verses, 1 Kings chapter 18, and uh, we'll start in verse number 17 this morning. 1 Kings 18, verse number 17. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou the one that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all, the Israel, all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the grove, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent, and all the children of Israel gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Lord, thank you for the day you have given us, and Lord, I pray that you would bless this morning as we look at your word and, and think about this question, how long, and Lord, I pray that you just help us this morning to see what you want us to see, and that, uh, Lord, if you speak to hearts this morning, Lord, I pray we would not sit and do nothing, but we would choose to be obedient. Lord, I pray you'd help us this morning to see your word and see what it says to us. Lord, encourage hearts this morning, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Very familiar story in this passage where we find Elijah challenging the authority of Baal and his priests in the nation of Israel. But first, let's, let's do some, some background on this uh, as we jump into this, because this question brings about a, a very serious question for us, but we really need to see what led up to this. And, and why do we even need, why does Elijah even need to come and challenge Israel to choose, to make a choice between God and Baal. And so if we look back in the first verse of chapter number 17, if you look back probably just one page or maybe right across the page in your Bible, chapter 17, verse number 1, the Bible says, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord of God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain for these years, but according to my word. So Elijah comes and he says, guess what, there's, there's going to be a, a famine, there's going to be a, no rain, there's going to be a drought in the land of Israel until I say so. And this is, this is really, he's saying, this is God's judgment upon you as a nation. So why was God judging Israel? Well, if we go back to chapter number 16, in verse number 29, the last few verses of the chapter, the Bible says, and in the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah began Ahab, the son of Omni, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and in, in Samaria twenty and two years. 
And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So there was not one person that reigned or that ruled in Israel before Ahab that did more evil than Ahab had done in his reign. And it came to pass, verse 31, that it has been a, a light for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam and, and the son of, of Nebar, and took the wife of Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of, Zid of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he, talking about Ahab, reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. So Ahab actually building a temple, building a place of worship for Baal, building an altar to Baal, and really commanding Israel, bringing Israel into the worship of this false god. Verse 33, And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab uh, did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So we find that Ahab has really brought Israel to this place of shame. This place of, in the book of Judges, they put it this way, doing that which is right in their own eyes. They're, they're following the leadership of Israel who's bringing them into worship of a God that is not the one true God. And so in chapter 17, Elijah pronounces the judgment of God on, on the land and says there's not going to be dew nor rain until I say so. And, and when that happened, he left and God took him to keep him safe, and he took him and he led him to uh, the brook Cherith where he, he, he drank of the brook. The ravens came and fed him every single day. God provided for him until the brook dried. Then he sent him to a woman of Zarephath and went, and, and, and her meal and oil was about to run dry, wasn't it? And yet God sustained that and sustained uh, Elijah until he sent him once again to bring himself to Ahab. And he comes, and, and Ahab... Uh, Ahab doesn't really know what's going on. Ahab and Obadiah, we see in chapter number 18, as we, if we continue reading, Ahab and Obadiah go out and they're beginning to search for water. Ahab says, basically, you go that way and I'm going to go this way. We're going to go look and, and try and find water so we can at least save some of our animals so that we can replant if there is rain, if rain ever does come back. And, and, and Elijah goes and he, and he finds Obadiah and he says to Obadiah, he says, go and tell, uh, tell Ahab, that I'm back and tell him I want to see him. And Obadiah begins to, to talk to Elijah and he says, but the last time, uh, last time you were here that people said that you, were, that you came and that you were around, Ahab did nothing but search for you for days and they didn't find anybody and, th and those people ended up getting killed. And so Obadiah is concerned for himself because he says, if, if I go and tell Ahab that you're back and then God takes you away again, my head's on the chopping block. And what's going to happen to the prophets that I have hidden in the caves when Jezebel came and started killing all the prophets of God? And so we, we come down to this place, Obadiah goes and finds Ahab, and Ahab comes and meets with Elijah in verse number 17. And, and, and Elijah says to him, I want you to gather all of Israel, and I want you to gather the prophets of Baal, and I want you to gather the, the priests of the grove that sit at Jezebel's table, and I want you to bring them to Mount Carmel. And we're going to, once and for all, we're going to see and we're going to decide who is really God. Is it Baal or is it God? And we're going to choose. And so he presents in verse number 21, Elijah challenges Israel and he says to all the people, how long are you going to halt? How long are you going to sit here trying to, to do both? 
trying to get away with your sin, trying to get away with serving a God that is not the one true God. How long are you going to halt? How long are you going to, the picture up here, how long are you going to stand there at the crossroads? What's going to happen? What is going to bring you to this next step? And so this morning we're going to talk about this way and that we must choose this morning to follow God in everything. So we're going to look at four different ways in which we halt between two opinions in our lives. And the first one this morning, the first one that we're going to see is in your procrastinating. Is in your procrastinating. Let me ask you this this morning. Is there anything in your life that has more preeminence or more priority in your life than God does? Because that's really the question that Elijah is asking Israel. Who's taking priority? Who are you giving preeminence to? See, the, the first of the Ten Commandments is this, have no other, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The last of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. God ends or, or begins the Ten Commandments with a commandment that says you shall have no other gods, and he ends the Ten Commandments with one that you shall not covet anything else. Why? Because God wants preeminence in our lives. God wants to be first place. And yet, so often in our lives, we stand at a crossroads and we halt. And we try and have it both ways. We try and serve God on one hand and we try and serve ourselves and, and get what we want on the other hand. And this morning, it can't work both ways. It can't happen both directions. Colossians chapter number 1 verse 18 says this, And he is the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. And in all things, he might have the preeminence. Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. So what are we going to do this morning? Are we going to continue to halt? Are we going to continue to vacillate almost between two different opinions? During the week, I'll be over here and I'll serve myself, but when I come to church on Sunday, I'm going to be over here and I'm going to serve God. When things are going well, I'm going to do things my own way because I can handle it. But then when things are going bad, as a last resort, I'll go back to the Lord. See, that's, that's really what we do in our lives a lot of times. And God says enough is enough. I want you to choose. That's our theme for this year. Choose. Make a choice. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve ourselves? Am I going to serve my flesh and do what I want or am I going to serve God? And so the first way in which we halt is in our procrastinating. The Bible says right there in verse number 21, Elijah said unto them, how long? How long? See, for three and a half years of judgment, Israel has still tried to serve Baal and they haven't gotten you know, you'd think at some point, not having any water, not having any crops, people are, are dying because they don't have food, they can't grow food. You'd think at some point they'd say, there, there's got to be something wrong. There's got to be some way we can fix this. You'd think at some point they'd say, maybe we should go back to where we were. 
where we were serving God, where God was blessing our nation. But they don't ever get the picture. And, and so long we, we, we halt. We, we, how long are we going to stand there? How long is it going to take? What's it going to take for God to get a hold of us and to make us see that what I'm doing and how I'm living is not pleasing and it's not what God wants for my life? What's it going to take? How long will it take for a, a sinful person who does not know Christ, who has not placed their faith and trust in Him? How, how many times does somebody have to hear the gospel? How many times does somebody have to feel the prodding of the Holy Spirit to give in? How long? How long is it going to take? How many of you this morning would say the very first time I heard the gospel, I responded and I trusted Christ? Maybe a couple hands. How many of you would say I heard it multiple, multiple times before I actually responded? Okay, that's the majority of us. See, God really in his, in his omniscience and in, in, in his love, really he doesn't have to give us one chance. But all of us have received multiple, multiple, multiple chances to respond to Christ. Acts 26, verse 28, the Bible says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. I'm right there. I want to, but I'm just not quite there yet. See, you may not ever have another opportunity. You may be sitting here this morning, and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. You may be sitting here, and you have never taken the time, and you've never placed your faith and trust, your dependence upon Christ alone. Will you walk out these doors this morning and not do it? How long? James 4, 14 says this, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then it vanisheth away. It's like steam that you're boiling a pot on the stove. It comes off the pot, and in two seconds it's gone. That's our life. None of us are guaranteed this afternoon. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed a week from now. How long? How long, those of you that have placed your faith and trust in Christ and, and are children of the Lord, how, how long are you going to sit here in your sin? What's it going to take for God to get a hold of your heart and say, you're, you're living a life that is not pleasing to me? See, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the question is asked, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Can we just live any way we want? Can we just do what we want, live the way we want, act the way we want, do the things we want, and God's grace is going to cover it? Paul answers the, answers the question in the next verse, and he says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What's it going to take for us to give God everything that we have in our life? To give him complete control. When I was a teenager, it took me uh, three car accidents. I totaled three vehicles before I turned 18. All of you parents that have teenagers, 
I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have told you that because now you're not going to want to send your kids to camp with me. But uh, Before I got out of high school, I had totaled three vehicles. And, and looking back, I know it's because I wasn't living the way I knew I should. I wasn't. I was running. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was living the way I wanted to do. And even after three car accidents, I still didn't get the picture. Two of them I shouldn't have walked away from. And yet, God is merciful, and God works in our hearts, and God leads us, and God guides us and directs us. But what's it going to take for him to get a hold of us? What's it going to take to show us what we need to do to turn ourselves back to him? Acts chapter 9, verse 5 says this, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. See, it took Saul the road to Damascus. And God, in a vision, came down and blinded Paul, Saul at the time, and said, I'm the one you're persecuting. Go into the city and wait, and I'll tell you what I want you to do. And he, he became Paul. He changed his name to Paul. And God used him to write most of the New Testament, to evangelize much of the known world at the time. What's it going to take? How long are we going to wait? How long are we going to sit there and procrastinate? See, God can and sometimes will take whatever it is that is your God, your, your bail that's in your life. He'll take it from you if you do not first willingly give it up to him. A lot of times all that God wants is for us to be willing, for us to say, you know what, I'll give it to you freely. And a lot of times God is sitting there waiting to give it right back to us. And even more. But we're willing, we're just holding on to it. The way they, they, uh, they used to catch raccoons uh, for, for their pelts was uh, some of the old trappers, they would take a, uh, a, a drill and they would drill a hole into a, a log or a, a tree somehow, and they'd, they'd pound two nails or two staples at an angle into that hole so the tips are sticking out, and they'd drop a, a small shiny object into that hole because a raccoon, once they find something shiny, they will not let go of it. What they do is they'd slip their hand, they could slip their hand in there, but once they grabbed a hold of the shiny object and they tried to pull it out, they'd stick themselves and get stuck. All they have to do is let go of the shiny object. And they could pull their hand back out. But they won't. And Trapper would come along and, and do what they did. We don't need to go into the details. <laughs> but how long? How long? What's it going to take for God to get? Are, are you going to hold on to something that matters nothing? They could destroy your life. They could take you out of God's will. Or are you willing to give it up and let God give it back to you and even more? How long? What's it going to take for us this morning? C.H. Spurgeon said this when, when talking about this question that Elijah posed. He said this, I speak not this morning to the thoroughly worldly. With them I have now nothing, uh, I have now nothing to do. Another time I may address them, but I am speaking to you who are seeking to serve God and to serve Satan. You who are trying to be Christian worldlings. 
trying to be members of that extraordinary corporation called the religious world, that is a thing that never had an existence except in title. You are endeavoring, if you can, to make up your mind which it is, uh, which it shall be. You know you cannot serve both. And you are coming now to the period when you are saying, what shall it be? Shall I go thoroughly into sin and reveal and revel in the pleasures of the earth, or shall I become a servant of God? Now, I say to you this morning, as the prophet did, how long halt you? Some of you have been halting until your hair has grown gray. The 60th year of some of you is drawing nigh. It is not 60 years long enough to make up your choice. How long halt you? Perhaps one of you may have taught it in his place, leaning on his staff, and have been undecided up till now. Your 80th year has come. And you have, not, and you have been religious in character outwardly, but a worldling truly. You are still up to this date, halting, saying, I know not which side to be. How long, sirs, in the name of reason, in the name of mortality, in the name of death, in the name of eternity, how long halt you between two opinions? Ye middle-aged men, ye say when you were youth, when you are out of apprenticeship, we will become religious. Let us sow our wild oats in our youth, and let us then begin to be diligent servants of the Lord. Lo, ye have come to middle age, and are willing till, uh, waiting till that quiet villa shall be built. You shall retire from business, and then ye think you will serve God. Sirs, ye said the same when ye came of age. When your business began to increase, I therefore solemnly demand of you, how long halt ye between two opinions? How much time do you want? O young man, thou setst in thine early childhood, when a mother's prayer followed thee, I will seek God and I will come when I come to manhood. Now as past that day, thou art a man, and more than that, and yet ye are still halting. How long halt ye between two opinions? How long of you how many of you have been churchgoers and chapelgoers for years? Ye have been impressed too many a time, but ye have wiped the tears from your eyes and have said, I will seek God and turn to him with full purpose of heart. You are now just, when you, uh, just where you were when that happened. How many sermons do you want? How many more Sundays must roll away wasted? How many warnings? How many sicknesses? How many tollings of the bell do you want before you must die? How many graves must be dug for your family before you will be impressed? How many plagues and pestilences before you quit halting between two opinions? Would God you would consider this question and, allow, and not allow the sands of time of life to drop, drop from the glass, saying, When the next goes, I will repent. And yet the next one findeth you impenitent. You say, When the glass is just so low, I will turn to God. No, sir, no, it will not answer for you to talk so, for thou mayest find thy glass empty before thou broughtest it, uh, it bad begun to run low. Thou mayest find thyself in eternity, and thou didst but think of the repenting and turning to God. How long, ye grayheads, how long, ye men of ripe years, how long, ye youths and maidens, how long will ye be undecided in this unhappy state? How long halt ye between two opinions? That was part of his sermon in this passage. And the question still rings today, how long are we going to halt? How long? It's in our procrastinating that we halt between two opinions, but it's also in our pausing, number two. It's in our pausing. So he said, how long halt ye? 
The word halt means to limp, to dance, to hop, to skip over, to hesitate. How long are we going to continue to limp along being babes in Christ? Desiring milk when we should be eating meat. 1 Peter 2, 2-3 says this, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We desire the sincere milk of the word. But oftentimes we should be eating meat. We should be eating bread. We should be long past just milk. And yet we're still in that babe, babe stage. We've halted. We've paused. We've hesitated in our spiritual life. Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14 says this, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teacheth you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How long are we going to halt? How long are we going to pause? How long are we going to hesitate in our spiritual life, trying to make up our minds whether or not we're going to grow and we're going to take the next step? For some of us, it needs to be our church attendance. For some of us, it needs to be our Bible reading. For some of us, it needs to be in our prayer life. For some of us, it needs to be in our witnessing. For some of us, it needs to be in our encouraging. Paul said here, or the writer of Hebrews said, it's you that should be teaching. You've heard enough. You've been at church long enough. You should be teaching the word, and yet you're still needing someone to teach you. Because you've halted. Because you're not growing. You're not taking the steps that are necessary. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says this, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Amen. I'm through that. I'm done with those things because that no longer is the, I, I, I'm becoming more spiritually mature. I don't need someone to continually teach me. I can discern those things myself in my own Bible reading. Now, church is still a command. Church attendance, being here in God's house, it's still a necessity in our lives. But one meal a week isn't going to do it. You've got to get in the words yourself and be getting something uh, necessitated by yourself every single day of the week. Amen. How long are we going to halt? How long are we going to pause in our spiritual life and not take the next step. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word perfect there just means entire. It means complete. Not that we're going to be perfect and sinless. It's but that I have enough spiritual maturity, I have enough given to me to be able to discern and make the choices that God wants me to make in my life. But how long are we going to halt? See, the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Doctrine is just teaching. It's the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, for, for reproof, that's the reproving of God, the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life. For correction, making right what we have just been convicted about. 
and instruction and righteousness staying right after we have made right. When we do those things, when we allow God's word to do that in our life, guess what? We will be perfect. We will be complete in Christ. We will be spiritually mature. But how long are we going to halt? How long are we not going to take those steps that have been necessary? Number three, we halt in our persuasion. In our persuasion. See, there's a big difference between God and Baal. Would you agree? One is alive, one has never been. One is all-powerful, one has nothing. One is all-knowing, one is made of stone. And yet, in our persuasion, a lot of times we choose Baal. We choose the gods that we set up for ourselves. It's not an idol any longer. I don't think any of us have a, a sanctuary in our home where we have an idol that we sit and we worship at. But we do have other gods. Don't we? Sports, entertainment, for some work, for some school. You know, we could go on and on about the different gods that we bring into our life. Anything that takes preeminence, anything that takes priority above my relationship with Jesus Christ is a god. Anything. Is work a necessity? Yes. Is school a necessity for young people and old people alike? Older people? Yes. School learning, it's something that we should do. Something that we should excel at. But when we take it to the point where that becomes our God and it's replacing the ability to go to church and it's replacing the ability to, to worship and it's replacing the ability to spend time in my Bible reading because I... I have to get to work and I have to get to school and I have to do all these things. Guess what? It's taken preeminence. We have now set that up in a place that it should not be. How much time do we spend on our cell phones? How much time do we spend on social media? How much time do we spend on the television? Is it preeminent? How long are we going to halt between two opinions? Our persuasion. First, or 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 17 says this, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, darkness does not mix with light. Water does not mix with oil. They separate themselves. And as a child of God, there should be no mixing with the world, the thoughts of the world, the things of the world. We have to, go, we have to live in the world, yes. Okay, I'm not saying you can't go out of your house. 
All right? But the thoughts, the, 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 the things that are put out there, the, the beliefs, the system of the world should not be mixed with us. There should be a difference. People should see your life and they should see you are different than somebody else. If they're not, there is no testimony. There is no difference. And you're sitting at the crossroad thinking you can be one thing and another thing at the same time and you cannot. If you think you can be both at the same time, you're going to lean towards the world and sin and flesh every single time. Because you've taken that step. You're, you're leaning. You're sitting there. You're considering it. How long are we going to halt between two opinions? The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and physical things at the same time. One is always going to take preeminence. Revelation 3, 15 through 16, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I, were, I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. See, God says, I'm looking down and I'm seeing your life and I'm seeing that you're not cold and you're not hot. You're lukewarm. You're in between. God's telling us in Revelation, he would rather us be completely cold rather than lukewarm. The, the phrase, I will spew thee out of my mouth, literally means to just throw it up. When we're lukewarm, we're like God, we are something that God wants to throw up. None of us enjoy that kind of sickness. God doesn't enjoy it either when it's our lives that are reflecting on him. James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James 4.8 says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. When you sit and you think you can do both, you're double-minded. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. God says, choose. Make a choice. Number four, the last way that we halt is in our practice. How long halt you between two, two opinions? Look at verse number 21 again. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Let me ask you this morning, who is God? Baal or God? Who? Who? I still haven't gotten everybody. Who? Okay, there we go. We know who God is, don't we? Israel knew who God was. They'd been told about, they had seen his works. When they came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, when they wandered in the wilderness and were fed by manna, water came out of a rock. They walked across the Jordan River on dry ground. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. They possessed the land of giants. David slew Goliath. Time and time and time and time again, God had showed himself strong to Israel. They knew who God was, and yet they still chose Baal. And so many times we know who God is, and yet we still don't choose him. 
So the question today is, what is your choice? Are you going to walk out of these doors this morning and still follow yourself? Still follow your own wisdom? Still follow the things that are, have been lifted up in your life? Are you going to choose to repent of those things? Repentance is a change of mind. It's turning from one way of thinking to another way of thinking. It's saying, I'm tired of this life and what I am constantly in and the revolving door of sin in my life. I want victory. But the only way that happens is if I choose to follow God and not Baal. See, Elijah brought them to a place and he says, choose this day. Right? We're, we're here at the crossroads. If Baal's God, then follow him. But if God is God, then follow him. And so they had the contest, didn't they? Fire rained down from heaven when Elijah prayed for God to do it. Before, when the prophets of Baal, Elijah taunting them, said, what's, what's wrong? Is your, is your God on vacation? Is he away? Is he sleeping? He can't hear you? Why isn't your God answering? They started cutting themselves. They started doing all kinds of things to, to try and get Baal to answer them. What did Elijah do? He actually poured water over the entire altar, over the entire sacrifice to soak it down before he prayed to make sure that everyone knew there was no trick. And at the moment he began to pray, fire rained from God and came down and consumed not only the sacrifice, but the entire altar. A miracle, right? You might be sitting here this morning and you say, Brother Kenny, you don't know what my motives are. You don't know where my heart is. You don't know what's going on in my life. I don't. God does. But because I don't, why don't you show me? Why don't you show me that you truly want to follow God? Nobody else in here, we're all human beings. We don't, we're not all-knowing. We don't know your motives. We don't know your heart. We don't know what's there. Show us. See, the Bible tells us in Matthew 7, verses 16 through 20, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree that bringeth forth good fruit... Uh, uh, even so, uh, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. And a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth good fruit is hewn down and cast, or every tree that bringeth not, excuse me, forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. See, because nobody else in here is God, we have to outwardly express that we are following him. And it comes through by our fruit, by our works. We don't work our way to heaven. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. But James says, in James 2, verses 14 through 18, What doth it profit my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, but ye be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit them? 
See, if you, if you say to somebody that, that needs food, they need clothing, and you say, be in peace, go your way. Be warmed and filled. Is, is my words doing anything for them? They still don't have any clothes. They still don't have any food, do they? What doth it profit? Verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. See, if we say we have faith, but we're not doing anything, we're not showing anything, there is no fruit, guess what? The Bible says you're dead spiritually. You may be a Christian, but you're dead spiritually. There's nothing bringing forth fruit. So as a Christian, why don't you do something that shows that there is fruit? Why don't you express by your life, by your testimony, by your outward acts and your, the things you do, why don't you show us? Why don't you show God by doing something? Getting involved. John 14, verse 15 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. How many of you would say you love God this morning? Okay. How many of you would say, I'm keeping all of God's commandments? If you love me, keep my commandments. See, that, that's, that's the question. If. If. If you're not keeping my commandments, is there true love? How long? How long are we going to halt? Titus 1.16 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Those are strong words. They profess they know God. All of us, most of us probably in here would say, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I put my faith and trust in Him. So what is your life demonstrating? Is it demonstrating that you know God? Or is it demonstrating that you're walking away from Him? Is it demonstrating that you're walking the way of the world? Is it demonstrating that you're walking the way that God does not want you to walk? As we conclude this morning, look at the end of verse number 21. How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered Him, not a word. A sad statement. The reason the people did not answer because they were guilty of the sin Elijah was confronting them with. They were following Baal. Have you ever been convicted of sin and you're sitting there, you know God wants you to repent and confess the sin, and yet you sit there and you say, but I really like the sin. And I want, to sit, I want to stay in the sin. And you sit there and, and, and you know, sometimes you're sitting in church. The service is going on. And, and you in your mind are contemplating. And you're saying, I need to get rid of this. I need to get rid of this. I need to change that. But I really don't want to. If I do, what are my friends going to say? If I do, what are the consequences going to be? If I do, if I do, if, you know, if, if, if. And we choose not to do what God says to do. 
The people answered him not a word. How sad that instead of just repenting then and there, knowing that they were guilty of what they were doing, when they could have just repented and said, you know what? You're right, Elijah. God is God, let's follow him. But they answered him not a word. And so they had to go through the whole process of that contest and the sacrifices and everything else that went along with that. Why don't we this morning just say, you know what? If God has spoken to my heart, if God has convicted me of something, let's just deal with it. Let's not make God go through the charade of, uh, of trying to prove that he is God in our lives. Let's not go through all of the, the process of God trying to get a hold of our hearts and putting us through trials and allowing difficult things to come into our life to get us to say, you know what, something's wrong here. Let's just turn and say, God is God, I'm going to follow him. Amen. Just make the decision right now. Our theme verse for this year, Joshua 24:15. The verse before says this, Joshua 24, verse 14, Now therefore, fear the Lord. And serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods, uh, um, whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And verse 16 says, And the people answered. Very similar to Elijah, except in, with Elijah they answered him not a word. But here with Joshua, and he said, Choose, make a choice today. And the people answered him and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. They made the right choice. They made the choice without having to go through everything else. And they went through and they possessed the land. Would you say this morning, you know what, I'm just going to choose to follow. I'm not going to procrastinate any longer. I'm not going to pause any longer in my spiritual life. I'm not going to be persuaded anymore with a, a different opinion other than God's. I'm just going to follow him with everything. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Right? The world behind me. Though none go with me. I have decided. Make your choice. Let's stand this morning as we close the service in prayer. Father, thank you for the day you've given us. Lord, we love you. Lord, I just thank you for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, I pray that this morning it has been a help and a blessing. Lord, may we as a church choose to stand together this morning. Lord, may we choose to follow you. May we choose to, uh, Lord, walk away from sin. May we choose to uh, turn from those things which do not please you. May we choose to turn from the things that maybe right now have priority or preeminence in our life. May we choose to follow you and follow you with everything. May we not this morning, may we not procrastinate even right here in our seats. May we not pause to try and decide whether or not I want sin or whether I want God. May we not be persuaded of anything else, but may we just choose to follow you and what your word says. 
Lord, I pray you'd, as you've worked in hearts this morning that you would help us just to make the choice that you want us to make. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, would anybody raise their hand this morning as the piano plays and just say, you know what, this morning I do not know Christ as my Savior. As you talked about in the beginning, I have never made that first choice, but I want to do that this morning. Would you raise your hand? Anyone at all? I am not a Christian. I have not placed my faith and trust in Christ, but I want to do that today. All right, then, children of God, has God spoken to your heart? Are you procrastinating? Are you pausing? Are you persuaded of anything other than what God wants for your life? Will you choose to follow? As the piano plays, why don't you just respond? God has spoken to your heart this morning. Just come. Maybe you just need to come and say, you know what, God, I just want to continue doing what I'm already doing if I am doing what's right. God, help me. Give me the strength. Maybe you need to step out this morning and say, you know what, I don't know what the consequences of turning from my sin or the thing that's in my life, but I know God can give me the strength and God can help me. Maybe you need to come this morning and just say, you know what, with my family. There's some things that are in our family life, and they shouldn't be there. What's got priority in your heart today? Is it Christ? Or is it something of this life? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. God wants to bless your life, but he wants you first. Choose to follow him.